before diving into the episode, I want to give listeners a heads up that despite the joyful nature of this episode, there are moments that get a bit dark regarding current events and the state of the world. Um, If you are sensitive to certain topics, please see the content warning in the show notes before diving in. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Ugly Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Emerson, and we're trying really hard not to try so hard. Come hang out with us as we talk about our passion for creativity, authenticity, and heart-centered entrepreneurship. (laughs) Did I say that right? Yep, definitely. This is the Ugly Podcast. I'm Lauren, and I use she/her pronouns. And I'm Emerson, and I use they/them pronouns. And we are entrepreneurs and creative people, and we like to talk about stuff. Yes, and we always forget two things. One is to explain what the Ugly Podcast means, and two is who we are and what we do. <laughs> so, Lauren, do you want to share who you are and why this is the Ugly Podcast? Yes. So I am an editor and writing slash creativity coach, and the Ugly Podcast is basically my way of letting go of perfectionism. I didn't create anything for years, and then I realized that I could get myself to create by doing it ugly, basically, (laughs) and just saying, like, I'm going to make it bad, and then that was my way of pushing past perfectionism. And so then we were working together and this is a really long fucking explanation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to figure out how to make this short, but if this is anybody's like first time listening, um, we talk all the time and I loved our conversations about what it's like to be an entrepreneur and all of the struggles that come with that and like showing up authentically. So I was like, let's do a podcast and that's what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. And I love that it's ugly. The heart of it is its ugliness. And I love that about it. Yeah, I love it too. And the the beauty that comes out of the ugliness. Because we, our conversations have such like fruitful, interesting things that come up. And it's all coming up because we're letting it be ugly. Yeah, absolutely. It's not structured. There's like some planning, but very little. (laughs) Okay. What about you, Emerson? What do you do? Yes, I am a certified dementia practitioner and an end-of-life doula with a practice called Happy Memories Elder Support, which was initially um, and still is a life enrichment practice for um, elders, especially those living with memory loss. But I have shifted recently to focus on supporting people um, in their own relationship to dementia, um, the fear and stigma that surrounds it, and how we can find a lot of hope and possibility on the other side. Um, ways that we can still connect and be ourselves and have meaningful lives. So that is me. You have that like elevator pitch down really well. I need to work on that. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's funny because it's evolved really naturally now that I'm doing what I'm doing. It didn't used to feel like I I used to struggle to explain what I did. And now my, my program message is so clear to me that it's a lot easier to communicate it. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. I guess I would say that because I didn't really talk about like who I work with. So I will say that I work with writers and creatives who let their perfectionism stop them from creating 
and I help them manage that and push through that. Just adding that in. (laughs) I will one day also have a good elevator pitch, but it is not this day. Right, right now your elevator pitch kind of stops at every level, which is good too. <laughs> it does. It stops at every level. <laughs> okay, that was perfect. Oh my god. Good. So, what are we talking about about today? Yeah. So we're talking about small joys, which feels very close to my heart because, in a lot of ways, my entire practice is built on this, and it is what I do with elders is, you know, find the small joys that make their lives meaningful. Um, And oftentimes they're very big joys and related to big things like personhood and um, connection. That's my professional relationship to it. But we also personally have both struggled with mental illness and leaving religion where joy was often not um, a priority and other things that make it very personally relevant as well. Mm -hmm. I think joy, I started, I had to start leaning into it, especially as, like, the world gets darker and more bleak, you know, it just, I have to lean into small joys and find that paradox of living in a very tough world, but where also very delightful things happen, Um, and it's really been getting me through my days. Yeah, that actually brings up a really good point I wanted to talk about with small joys is, and it's good that we're laying the foundation of this from the beginning of the conversation is that small joys need to coexist with the big bad things in the world. Um, we, we need those. And, um, I, there's two things I want to refer folks to for that. One is, um, Ross Gay is a black author who wrote a book called the book of delights. And that is magnificent for looking at, joy as it relates to hardship, um, especially with marginalized identities. And then the other one, which I think you'll really like. So there was this quote that I, I heard attributed to Kate Bowler. I misquoted it as being from Kate Bowler. And it's actually from a conversation Kate Bowler had with G or Gary Hagen. So let me read this and then I'll ask you what you think about it. So this Gary Hagen gentleman, which I wish I had done my research on who he is, but everyone should look this up as well as me because I want to listen to this. Um, there is sometimes a sense if you're a compassionate person, you should be wallowing in the darkness and the gloom 24-7. And that is just a vicious lie. And it's a way to go to sure burnout. And so it actually for us is a discipline of coming back up for air. And one of his, the statement that this is when I had quoted and heard Um, that joy is the oxygen of doing hard things. And especially that it is joys is the oxygen for doing the work of justice. Um, So he, this organization he's part of, he says they're extremely intentional about it is making sure there's laughter and music and art and silliness. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I need to go listen to that whole conversation um, because I think it's going to be really, really rich for this topic. But yeah, I'm curious what you think about that. What comes up for you? Yeah, that, I really like that quote, especially because like whenever something new happens, something new and bad happens, another shooting, another another law, like, you know, thing after thing, um, I usually feel like, okay, well, the world is terrible. I can't do anything. I like, 
I don't want to create anything. I don't want to post on social media. I don't want to talk to people. I just want to, I just want to shut down. And it does feel like I can't do my job, which is sharing about creativity and growth and it's like trying to help inspire that like drive to create and that joy and excitement and creating. Like, I feel like I can't do that when the bad things are happening in the world, but it's so true that like, no, like we need those things, especially when things are bad in the world because people need good things to cling on to. And I have a really hard time with like the fear of coming across as like a toxic positivity person, you know, I don't want to, like, share toxic positivity. I want to share, like, actual gratitude and, like, richness in life, you know? Which I think is the joy that that quote is talking about. It's not about ignoring the bad things. It's not about, like, putting your head in the sand. Um, but it's about finding the joy with all of the badness in order to keep going. Yeah. I I think that you, especially with your focus on creativity can be susceptible to that, you know, how it, the bad things kind of block it. Cause people see creativity as this like luxury and it's something that we're always doing as like a recreational activity to just like do something fun. And it's like, it can be actually a really deep processing of our experience of the world and expressing and conveying that. But people really do see it as just like, oh yeah, you know, Lauren's little art project or whatever, you know, whatever their thoughts are. Yeah. And especially because like when I do like ugly art, it's very, it can look very childish. And like, I have gotten some like feelings of that from people of just like, okay, like you're doing your little thing. Like it's kind of a patronizing type of <laughs> type of attitude which is fine it's not for everybody but like those little moments of ugly art and scribbling on a page like it helps me find the smallest bit of levity in the day and I don't I don't know what I would do without if I didn't have that I'd probably just be very upset (laughs) especially because like my art isn't like if I try to make art that's quote-unquote good or, like, to actually convey exactly what I'm feeling or to, like, have a message in what I'm making, like, because it's not uh, professional-looking or good-looking, like, I'm not trained in art at all, it just, like, it'll look childish anyway. <laughs> and like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just, like, I don't know. Some people are able to give a message with their art, like, with the outcome of it. And some people can give a message with their art just by creating it in the first place. Like, the act of creating is the the message. And that's, I think that's what it is for me. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting because I've started doing ugly art because of you. And often the times that I reach for ugly art where I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to grab some markers and a piece of paper are moments where things do feel bad. And I do need to find a moment in the midst of that and just creating, just throwing stuff onto a page is healthy and helps in that process. So yeah, I think you're, you're really grounded in that, that truth that it is a beneficial thing and that it it does have its place in a hard world. It has an even, even more of a place in a hard world. Yeah. Your work is important. 
Thanks. Yours too. Okay, let's switch to you because I love what you do. The The way that you focus on what you can do to find small moments of joy throughout your day. I mean, you do it for people with dementia, but like it's so helpful for anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I clearly try to get through to people because um, so many people see my practice and they're like, oh, so you just help people with dementia. And I'm actually really wanting to work with like all humans on their relationship to their identity and their experience of the world and how they connect with other people, um, especially because, you know, we may get dementia in the future and we may have a loved one with it. And so I want to work with everyone at any point in their relationship to it. And I, I do. I love I love the things I've made around it and I want to share them more and more. Because, yeah, it is like it, it really grounds you in the small joys. And for people who don't know what it is, the happy map is basically a tool I designed to very quickly um, and very succinctly convey a lot of information about a person, about the things they love, like their background, their favorite foods, music, um, ways they like to spend their time, because that's that's all the information I wanted to know about the residents I worked with in memory care. Um, and it is incredibly, incredibly powerful just to have that information about someone and what connects them to joy. Yeah. How did you come up with that idea? That's such a great question. Um, are you familiar with the book Being Mortal by Atul Gawande? No. It is an amazing book. It is uh, like my number one recommendation for reading about mortality, especially mortality in, in our culture um, and the death phobia and how it creates really poor outcomes for people. Um, and he his message is really one of quality of life and asking people what matters to them and making it happen. So he started my entire journey into this. Um, that was like seven to 10 years ago. And oh, wow. one of his um, things that he does, so he has these questions he asks his patients. And it's basically, you know, getting to like, what matters to you? What outcomes are you, do you want? What are your priorities? And that's that idea of asking people questions like that um, evolved. Like that like struck such a chord. And then I got into memory care and I tried to ask my own questions from residents there and find out things about them. And it literally transmuted through like, I think five to seven different questionnaires. Um, Cause initially it was just like, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite snack? Um, it was very reduced to something not super actionable. Um, and then, yeah, it just evolved into something that's super easily conveyed and colorful and fun. It's a fun thing to make and fun thing to use. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess this is a good time to share. Um, so I coined the term micro delights for these things and these moments we have. And I really like my definition for it. So I pulled it up. A micro delight is something small, significant, and easily added to someone's day that can bring great joy, deep peace, and meaningful connection. Mm. I love it. Yeah. They're so good. I love them so much. So what are, do you have like some examples of what those are for you or what you like, or maybe some moments that you've seen like with other people and how that's affected them? Yeah. I have my happy map on the wall. So I'm just going to like pull it down and see some of my favorites. <laughs> and then I have some like, yeah, I do have a few stories I love um, in memory care. Yeah. So what stands out to me? Um, one of my things is like, I take a, I take really hot showers and like every day I take really hot showers and they're just so calming to me. And so that's 
a really good one for people to know about me is that like, I, I want hot water and it feels good to me. It's very grounding and peace bringing. So it seems, you know, it seems so simple, but that's actually something that is really important to my sense of, you know, well-being. I love flowers. I have tattoos of flowers. I love to have flowers around me. I love to have stuff with flowers on them. And then like another one is that I love simple games. Like I love to play Pac-Man and Tetris and Mario Kart. Um, And so these are all facts where it's like, oh yeah, that's just a simple fact about you. But it's like, I can move into a memory care community and have someone have no idea that I like my hot showers and flowers and games. And those three things alone, like those are huge and so helpful to me feeling like grounded in a space and like happy and feeling like myself. So yeah, those are some of mine. Before I share some stories of people I've worked with, what are some, you've actually, you've made a happy map, right? I have. And as you were talking, I pulled mine up. Nice. <laughs> what are some of the things that stand out to you? Um, yeah. Some of the things that stand out, I, walks with my dog are some of my favorites, especially because he is really stubborn when he walks. Um, and that's not the fun part, but, um, he loves to just roll around in grass and he will just like, like do a half somersault, duck his head and like turn over and then just roll around happy as can be in the grass for honestly, as long as you'll let him do it. Um, but it is, it brings me so much joy. Um, punk emo music from the early 2000s will always put me in a better mood. First, it will make me question how on earth I got through puberty and then it'll make me really happy. (laughs) Um, puzzles and podcasts, um, especially D and D podcasts recently. I don't know what it is about them, but they make me so happy. They are just so much fun. See, and I love uh, that because I didn't, I didn't know all those things about you, especially really? D&D podcasts. Not the <laughs> D&D podcast, son. I know you like D&D, but I didn't know that, like, the podcasts were, like, a thing for you. <laughs> yeah, I started listening to um, Not Another D&D podcast, and it's just, like, these four friends that just make the, it's the dumbest story, and they are, they're all comedians. They all work for, like, college humor or something, but they're just so funny, Um, And the first season of it is just really wholesome, too. Like, they're just all best friends on this adventure, and it's just so cute. Oh, that's cute. Um, I've also gotten very into nature. Um, It's funny because, like, my parents would always, like, point out, you know, different plants when we were on walks. And as a kid, I was just like, oh, my God, stop looking at the plants. (laughs) And and now as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God, look at this plant. I don't know any of the names and I don't really care to. I just like being like, that one is so cool. Um, And I like like touching them and feeling the textures and um, especially like going along the same walk every day throughout the year I get to see like which plants are blooming which time of year and some plants have like colorful berries and yeah it's really nice it makes me very happy I love that and that actually leads really well into some of the moments I've had with people in memory care so I worked in a life enrichment position doing one-on-one or small groups and they gave me essentially no resources whatsoever they were just like go get to know them do stuff which You know, I took it and ran with it, obviously, because I'm doing this now. But, uh, you know, I I really didn't know what I was doing. And so what I would do with them is take them outside for walks, Um, whether it was, you know, that I was pushing them in a wheelchair or going really slow with them in a walker. 
and that, you know, it was just something I did because it was available to me. It didn't cost money. It was just something I could just, you know, take them out and, you know, have some time with them. And every single resident loved it so much. And there, there were people who were weeks away from dying who I would walk out in their wheelchairs and I would just hear them say, wow, wow, this is beautiful. Um, and yeah, just that like nature is such a huge micro delight that is so neglected in long-term care communities um, and, and in any form of incarceration um, or institutionalization. And yeah, I would, there were people who couldn't see anymore and I would put flowers in their hands. Um, and Aww. one gentleman, yeah, one gentleman, when I put a flower in his hand, he, he told me, so I'd mentioned the flowers, but it didn't connect with his long-term memory as much. But when he held the flower, he was like, oh, I used to grow these amazing flowers for the whole neighborhood. And like, everyone knew that like my garden was like the talk of the neighborhood. And I think it was because he felt that like he had that body memory of it. So yeah, that's just, that's one component of the micro delights nature. And I think it's one of the most overlooked, like you hear about a lot about art and music for dementia care. And I'm like, get everybody outside. Everybody wants to be outside. (laughs) And And it's free. It's free. Yeah. The problem with it is that it takes um, a lot of effort. Like you either have to go out one-on-one with people or corral like a large group to go out. Um, So that's part of what makes it hard. But I'm also like, like what I always told caregivers is like, this gentleman is going to be just as happy sitting on the patio in the sun for 10 minutes as he is if you were to walk him around the entire building. Mm -hmm. Um, That was actually the same gentleman. He was um, almost entirely deaf and completely blind. And he just loved to feel the sun on his skin. That was something that he could still experience. And he rarely ever got it. Um, And not to get really dark and sad, but he died during COVID. um, And he did not see his family again. And he probably didn't see outside again since the last time I took him out. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways we can reimagine how we spend time with older people in ways that they and we can really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we have to segue. Um, We're going to sit with that for a bit. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, a question I was wondering is what are some um, recent micro delights and small joys that you've enjoyed and maybe perhaps found particularly grounding in these times? <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Well... I don't know if this was particularly grounding. Well, actually, this whole weekend was really nice. So I went to a festival this weekend, and I felt a little uncomfortable at times just with, like, COVID stuff. But, um, you know, we were there, and I was like, well, it's too late now. So, (laughs) Um, you know, we leaned into it, and we enjoyed the weekend. And when we were at the campground, we just, like, left our phones, like, away and just, like, sat in each other's company in the shade and um it was really nice we like ate watermelon and um at one point uh I felt something slimy like on my hand and I was like Bleh! I freaked out and it was a little frog <laughs> and this little baby frog was like hopping along so we gave him some water and we just watched him for a while and it was very cute that's so beautiful it was really lovely mm-hmm. it was a good reminder of just like being in the present moment and you know 
letting go of the things happening for a little bit. And like you said, it was like coming up for air. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Awesome. What about you? Yeah. Um, so to preface this, something that I have a really hard time with, um, which I've been exploring in my own psyche, um, is school shootings. Mm-hmm. And um, they just really, really get to me. And it's hard for me, like, especially right now, the Parkland trial is going on. And it's like every single day for the next three months, um, which is really good exposure therapy for me to be like, I'm not going to read that. I'm just like, I, I don't need to read those things. Um, and so that's been kind of where my head's been at is like struggling to not have intrusive thoughts about horrible things like that that happen. Um, and something I've realized is that one of the best ways for me to counter that is things like game shows, like the comedian Ron Funches is my partner and I's favorite person in the entire world. And he was just on family feud, celebrity family feud. Um, and then another, um, so game shows is one. And then another thing is like, we went for a date night to see Marcel the shell, which was like just amazing. Like I knew it was going to be cute, but it was just so wildly wholesome. And like, it was deeper than I thought. It was sadder than I thought. <laughs> Cause I was like, this is just a cute movie to watch for fun. Um, but it really explored like grief and aging and loss. Um, but it did it so beautifully where it kept you laughing and kept you seeing the beauty and everything, even through that, which is feels very true to life that you cry at the same time that you laugh and feel grateful. And yeah, just every single beat of that movie was just delightful. Um, and those are the kinds of things that like, I need, I need something like that to take up the time that I would otherwise be doom scrolling. Mm-hmm. I'll have to watch the, that movie. I wasn't as into Marcel the Shell as you were, but I did think it was cute. So I'll have to watch the movie. Yeah. Maddie was like, I was never, um, what they say? They said, like, I, I, I only was vaguely aware of it. I was never a super fan. And I was like, I remember not being a super fan, but just being like, oh my gosh, I love this little shell. And then it was like, it was one of those internet things that just like passes so quickly that it's Mm -hmm. just like on to the next thing. Because apparently there was three YouTube videos and multiple children's books. Um, Oh, I I, didn't know about the children's books. Yeah, I missed all of that. I remember the first video. But yeah, and one of the things I wanted to talk about it too, because it relates to this podcast and what we do is it was very heart centered and very, um, creative and collaborative. Um, I don't know if you know this, uh, you know, Jenny Slate. Mm -hmm. So, um, Jenny Slate's the voice of Marcel. She created it. Um, and she created it with her then husband, Dean Flesher camp and they created it and love Marcel really deeply. Um, and they could have sold out and done this for like millions of dollars and tons of like commercialism and toys and stuff like that. And they were very, very intentional about choosing a format that would stay true to who Marcel was um, and the message. And they did that. And it's not this crazy profitable thing. You can't go get like a cute little talking Marcel the shell, which I looked up because I want one. I literally, I was like, surely if you Google this, it'll be there. Because of course, any movie that comes out, there's going to be like 500 toys based on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least now I think you can really just get a stuffed animal. But 
Um, so that's really the heart centeredness of choosing the art over the profit and the story and the humanity. And then the other aspect of it is that they divorced between the time they first made the first one and um, now, and they were still able to collaborate and create something really beautiful, even though they are, you know, they are very divorced. They have both moved on with their lives. Um, and I was thinking, you know, if they hadn't found that way to collaborate through conflict, uh, we wouldn't have that. And I, I think the movie is really such a powerful narrative that you didn't get in the other ones. The other ones were just like, oh, Marcel's cute and saying cute things. And this one was like really quite a beautiful story. So yeah, there's just so many layers to how beautiful it was. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It felt very on brand for us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And And what's really sad about it too is like, there's not a lot like that where you're like, wow, this was really like art that was made with such a like beautiful story behind it and a collaboration and that they didn't sell out. Like it's usually going to be something really small and indie, not something that's like brought to a big screen, but also maintains its creative integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcel repeatedly asks, uh, have you ever eaten a raspberry? And if so, what was it like? And that. Like, I want to ask everyone that all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually really speaks to um, the small joys thing, where it's like a raspberry is such a magical thing that you can have. And, like, have you eaten one? And what was your experience like? Like, I have a raspberry in the fridge. I want to go get one and just eat a single raspberry and, like, experience it. Yeah, that's – I love that. Also, that that's, like, kind of integrating mindfulness into it, too, of just, like – Oh, yeah. It was really awesome when I ate that raspberry that one time. Like, something we just take for granted or never think of it again. And then this little shell, like, reminds us, hey, have you eaten one? Can you tell me what it was like? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Oh, yeah, it was really good. (laughs) It was good. Um, Yeah, one of the, I think one of the initial small shorts, um, Marcel, like, brings out a, a grape and is like, I told all my friends that I knew someone who could eat an entire grape and they were like, BS, no way. <laughs> and, and Marcel's like to the um, documentarian who's Dean, uh, Marcel's like, can you eat a grape? And Dean's like, yeah, <laughs> I can. <laughs> it's just so funny. Like we never think of something that like something that simple being like a magical thing that we get to experience simply because our mouths are big enough for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so cute. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because it really um, it really did bring up the theme of small joys a lot, especially small joys in the face of um, aging and dying um, and grief. And that's like, I, I just want to watch this movie again and again, because that's something that I really want to sit with. I mean, especially with your line of work. and Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I go to this movie like date night, super cute, fun thing. And then there's a part where um, Nana Connie, the grandma, she repeats herself and it gets kind of like sad for a minute because the implication is that she has memory loss. And I'm like, oh no, it's a work movie now. (laughs) (laughs) Like for a minute, I was so devastated because I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to do the thing where it gets really dark and depressing. And you know, and some people who've listened to this know, like my realm of dementia care is very um 
contrary to the tragedy narrative that says that you can only experience it as this terrible, terrible thing. And literally the extent of how they navigate Nana Connie's memory loss is Marcel says she's lost a small piece of a very large puzzle. And that is now like the slogan of my practice. I'm going to use it all the time because it, it really was like Nana Connie continued to be treated like a person and continue to experience life and share wisdom and feel connection. And, you know, Marcel just made sure that she was safe and taken care of. And um, yeah, it was really beautiful. I'm very grateful that Jenny Slate didn't ruin the entire movie for me. Oh, that just reminded me. Have I talked to you about the show She-Ra? I don't think so. Have you watched it or heard of it? I vaguely heard of it, but I know nothing about it. So I, I love that show so much. I'm, I just rewatched it. But there's a character in it named Raz who, um, like, lives in the woods and she's just, like, this wild old woman. Um, And she, like, is always having trouble with her memory. And then, like, later on in the show, spoilers if anybody (laughs) wants to watch or hasn't watched. I mean, it's not that big of a spoiler, but it's a spoiler. Anyway, um, but the way they basically show her as, like, this time traveler because she's always like hopping back into her old memories and like thinks she's there and so then it shows her like flashing back and talking to uh mara who was the original she-ra and like it's so sweet to like watch and then she like ends up like she basically saves the day that way because she's hopping back and forth and like sharing these memories with the past and the and the future she-ra's and it's really sweet and really lovely oh i love that so much I love it so much. And that's actually something in my From Panic to Power program. One of the things we look at is different conceptualizations of dementia. And one of my favorites is time traveling. Because Mm -hmm. you really can, like, if your loved one thinks that they're in the 50s with their husband, you can, like, sit with them and experience life with them with their husband in their 50s and hear the things they say that you might not know. And that's something we've really missed when we say it's only a tragedy. Like, Mm -hmm. then, then it happens where it's like, oh, my gosh, she thinks she's, like, in a different time and place and it's terrible it's a horrible thing and this is such a bad symptom and what do we do to treat this instead of just being like i'm in the 50s now and i'm like finding out new stuff (laughs) yeah well and like how much better would it be if you were the person with dementia if like instead of people bringing you out of that time travel they were like no, you're here, you're not there, and then causing confusion. It's like, well, what if they just let you be in the 50s, you know? Yeah, that's been a thing um, in the past. They called it reality orientation, where they thought that the right way to treat everybody with dementia was to constantly reorient them towards reality, which is something that can be helpful in early stages. If someone, like, doesn't know what month it is and they're still really with it, you can be like, yeah, so it's August. But... Uh, yeah, in those later stages when people are just where they are, like a phrase that I've started using lately is following their lead and just being wherever they are. Because it is, it's incredibly jarring when someone's like, no, you're absolutely wrong about your entire sense of reality. Especially if you're doing something like enjoying time with who you think is your husband. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because this all ties back to small joys too. Is like if they're finding a joy somewhere, you know, let them have it, be there with them and enjoy it with them. Yeah, I I do appreciate that about um, Small Joys, too, of just, like, taking you out of, well, I guess not exactly. I was going to say taking you out of reality, but it's not. It's, like, a profound 
experience of reality. Um, I guess it's what I'm trying to say is like, it's putting down your guard more instead of, you know, like as we age, especially like we think we have to put on a certain face all the time. And then when you're like experiencing a really profound, tiny joy for a moment, like, and you can just have that smile on your face, feeling like a kid and it, it just like takes you out of that way that you think you have to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's how I feel about memory care. As I think a lot of people are like, why do you like memory care? And I'm like, I get to see people experience those moments of joy and see those smiles on their faces all day, every day. And yeah, it is, you know, when, when something's assumed to be a, this terrible experience and then there's actually so much joy in it and so many moments where you can connect with someone, like that's a really beautiful thing to explore because it feels like a treasure hunt. Um, and it feels like you get mm-hmm. to put the treasure there. <laughs> Do you have like a, a small joys practice that you integrate into your life or did you used to until it just kind of became second nature? How could people start to tune yeah. in to like the small joys in their life? That's a really good question. Is actually kind of what I wanted to end on too, is like how we redirect ourselves towards small joys when we find that we're not enjoying them or noticing them. I mean, it's really hard for me because um, my ADHD makes it really hard to have any practice or ritual or anything like that. Um, and that's actually part of the reason micro delights were something that made sense to me and something that I, I coined and identified in people because it's the same for people living with dementia, that it's the small moments that make sense to them. Like if you try to sit 25 people with dementia down for an hour long art program, they're probably not going to connect with it that entire time the same way as they would of having many different micro delights through their day. Um, so I was often like a little butterfly going around to different people, making sure they had the, the music they like and their coffee the way they like it and their newspaper. So I think they lend well to building them in really small here and there. And when you start looking for them, you start seeing them more and more. Um, so it doesn't have to be a, you know, formalized practice of like, you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, do this particular thing. Um, it's just starting to notice. And that I guess, I'm, as I'm saying this, this goes back to um, when I was in high school and I was really depressed, I started keeping a gratitude journal, um, which has been like, a bit overused these days. Like, I feel like it's now seen as like a, like, it's almost like a homework assignment where it's like, well, you got to do your gratitude journal. Um, And now how I use it is I just, I write them down when I feel led to do it. So after our move, I wrote down a bunch of gratitudes that I hadn't had time to reflect on. Um, And I, when I need to pay more attention to them, I write them down more. So I might get my gratitude journal out and just keep it around. Um, mm-hmm. and just write them down when I notice them. Because once you, once you start noticing them, you, you see them everywhere. It's kind of like yeah, a confirmation bias definitely. thing. I was reading um, The Power of Fun a couple weeks ago, and she was talking about the Book of Delights. And um, again, just like that, yeah, you start to find them and you will see them everywhere. And she talked about how he like calls it out when he sees it, like, delight, like, he says the word, which is so cute, um, so I started doing that a couple weeks ago, like, on my walks, and it was pretty cute, I don't know if it'll stick, but it was fun when I did it, but, like, yeah, for me, um, I have in my planner, there's, like, a section for, like, good things that happened through the week, and 
I think in the past I may have been like, no, well, it has to be like a really good thing that happened. But like, I was looking back at some of the things that I wrote down and I just literally, I claw my way through the week and try to find something that was good. <laughs> like, like, cause there are some weeks that are just bad. Um, and so like, there's one that's like, there was a double rainbow today. <laughs> like, I saw a double rainbow that is good. And it happened. Um, so I write that in my planner. Um, and then if I am feeling particularly down, I'll like add five things I'm grateful for at the end of my journal entry for the day. Yeah, I found that I have relied on my gratitude journal the most at the times in my life when I felt like there was no possible way I could think of any. And then, you know, it's kind of like a muscle that you at first you're like, I can think of two things. And then, you know, you start to think of more. Yeah. And sometimes it is just like so small of like the sky was blue today and it was a nice blue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that was, that's a good conversation we just had because I think it feels really relevant in a lot of ways. It does. And I don't know about you, but like, as we're talking about it, I'm like. I could, I could, I could use some small joys, even though I just had like a really nice weekend. It felt like it feels very jarring to be back home and then I'm leaving again tomorrow. So I'm just, it's, I'm having a hard time like finding a ton of joy at the moment, but I know it'll be, it'll be good. I'm going to see like my nephews and my brother and sister-in-law and my parents and it'll be, it'll be good, but I'm just, uh, I'm tired. (laughs) I, I think they're hardest to find at least for me, when I feel really frantic and frazzled. Um, and I know earlier you mentioned um, before we were, when we were talking outside of this conversation, feeling frantic lately. And yeah, I think when we're kind of on like the fast forward, um, it's hard to see them because I think they kind of thrive in slowness and having time to yeah. pay attention and the, the headspace to do it. So it can be hard to do it when we're not. So yeah, sometimes it's so hard to like, put my foot on the brake, but sometimes I'll like sit outside for just five minutes <laughs> mm-hmm. just be like, okay, I'm, I'm not moving for these five minutes, which I guess is meditation and mindfulness, but I don't think of it that way. Cause my brain is like, I don't meditate. I don't, I can't concentrate, but I can sit outside for five minutes. <laughs> my favorite micro delights right now are my hummingbird feeder and my roses. Um, we moved in here and there's roses. Um, I would not have gotten them put, put it in myself, but it's a beautiful, beautiful bush. We probably have like 30 blooming right now and they're big yellow fragrant ones are so beautiful. Like you literally cannot stop or like you cannot help but stop to smell the roses because they just smell so good. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. They make it easy. Those are the ones that like seeing the hummingbird being outside, smelling the flowers, like that stops me in my tracks. And those are the ones I like, like a double rainbow where you're like, oh my gosh, delight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think right now delights through my day are the walks with my dog, like I mentioned earlier and watching this one spider plant that I have grow. I, I chopped it cause it was looking really sad. It's <laughs> just like every, like it didn't matter what I did. It was just wilted and pathetic looking and I know that it was rip bound and I didn't know what to do with it and I was just like okay we're just gonna chop you down to the stubs and then repot you and see what you do and normally that would have resulted in just a dead plant but 
this time it did not and it is growing back and so every day i just like go check on it and see what it's doing and it's growing and that's exciting that's so exciting that plants are a big one for me like just seeing them grow and that i haven't killed them is just so lovely <laughs> oh yeah it's such an accomplishment especially for me i've killed so many plants yeah i um i realized it took me a long time to realize the reason that i let plants die is because I know like between me and my dogs and paying rent, like those are the priorities and plants. It's like, you can let them die. And there's not, you know, a huge ethical connotation to it, but I always (laughs) just feel so bad every time. I know. I do too. Well, have you made anything ugly this week? That's a good question. And I totally had one and I can't remember it. Um, (laughs) What was it? Maybe the ugly thing is that I can't remember the ugly thing. Um, <laughs> well, let me keep thinking about it. But have you made anything of it this week? Um, not this week, but last week was um, Come As You Art on Thursday. And um, two of my fellow editors um, joined me and it was really fun. Yeah, it was good. So I made a like a seawater underwater scape because I just like drew a random little shape and it ended up looking like a fish so then I drew more fishes and then I made a really creepy jack-o'-lantern looking octopus (laughs) cool a jack-o'-lantern and an octopus together sounds so cool like it makes sense (laughs) well like I love because like whenever I'm making ugly art and I'm just like huh I wonder how I could make this more ugly I'm like give it weird shapes for a face (laughs) (laughs) this one looks like a (laughs) jack-o'-lantern I love how, like, when you do ugly art, you can start to have, like, a little, like, toolbox of the, like, techniques you can use to make it uglier. Yeah. It's, like, at least for for my toolbox, it's, like, just draw a line through it. Just, like, whatever it is, just, like, draw a line. Or make weird shapes into a face. Those are my go-tos. I do a lot of little monsters that are weird shapes. And then, um... Did you ever use, like, a spirograph when you were a kid? Yeah, those are fun. Yeah, I like doing those just, like, by hand. Like, just, like, ugly spirographs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I literally cannot remember my ugly thing, and I'm so sad about it because I I took last week off. And I know at some point in that week I did something ugly, and I cannot remember. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) It means Um, I need to do more. So that I remember more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, is there anything that you want to plug or tell people where to find you? Um, I am not currently like actively promoting anything, but I love to connect with people on my Instagram page. That's where I share a lot of the philosophies that I come from and um, kind of like stigma busting. So it's Instagram.com slash let's make moments. Awesome. Um, yeah, and people can find me um, also on Instagram at Scribe and Sunshine. And um, as far as things to plug, I just recorded my perfectionism workshop and created a workbook to go along with it. And so that is for sale. Um, you can watch it in your own own time and um, go through the workbook. And you can find it through the link on my Instagram. I still uh, have not put it on my website because I... I hate designing website things, and so I've been putting it off, but it will be available at some point, um, but you can find 
the workshop itself is on a, a website called Ko-Fi. That's K-O-F-I. And then I will have a coaching program soon. I just haven't um, gotten the details ironed out yet, but it will be for people, specifically writers and creatives who let their perfectionism get in the way. It is a coaching program that will probably be about three months long um, that will kind of help you develop tools to push past perfectionism um, and start getting your work out there into the world. Yay! I'm so excited for you to have a coaching program. Me too. I um, Making a program is very complicated to me. I don't know why it's been so, like, like I had the bare bones for it, and I was just like, something's not clicking. And so, you know, I did my thing where I just, like, let it sit for a while. I had, like, I just didn't think about it. And so then I was like, oh, it needs to be a shorter program. It shouldn't be, like, an indefinite program. And, like, there'll probably be, like, a club associated with it. Like, if you want to hang around afterwards, that's fine. But, like, the program itself needs a time limit because, like, you, you're not you're just not going to need, like, consistent coaching for months and months and months. It's just, I mean, you might, but probably not. Anyway, me rambling about details of planning things. Um, yeah. Well, this was good. Thank you for talking to me about Small Joys. Yeah, thank you for reminding me that we were planning on talking today. (laughs) Of course. Well, keep it ugly, everybody. Keep it ugly. The Ugly Podcast is created by Emerson Lee of Happy Memories Elder Support and Lauren Alexander of Scribe and Sunshine. It is produced by us and directed by absolutely no one. If you like the podcast, be sure to rate and leave a review on your preferred platform and share with the creatives and entrepreneurs in your life. Keep it ugly, everybody.